And I, I want to highlight something that, that doesn't often get talked about when it comes to data integrity as well. In large part, a lot of people interpret data integrity to be unclean, wrong data, like there's gaps in it. And, and that's absolutely true. But the other, the other form of data integrity that people don't visualize so much in their minds is the process-driven data integrity, where if you have the option, let's say, let's use the, the, the medical as the, as the example. If you have adult uh, pediatric for kids and neonatal and, and other such buckets, then if you have a bucket that says other, and there's people that just select other for everything, that's not bad data, it's just not helpful. And therefore, you can do the analysis on those other fields and suppress or sort of say what well, other in, in those scenarios, but data integrity due to ambiguity as well. And that's, that's a key part of the conversation that doesn't come up when it comes to the cleanliness of data and the, and the usefulness of data as well. Just because every field is populated doesn't mean that every field is actually useful and therefore you actually get in the right message. Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast where Justin Grammons and the team at Emerging Technologies North talk with experts in the fields of artificial intelligence and deep learning. In each episode, we cut through the hype and dive into how these technologies are being applied to real-world problems today. We hope that you find this episode educational and applicable to your industry and connect with us to learn more about our organization at AppliedAI.mn. Enjoy! Welcome, everyone, to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. Today, we're speaking with George Bryant, a partner of Fulton Analytics. Fulton Analytics is a Minnesota-based data analytics strategy and consulting company committed to delivering data success. Their data success framework aligns people, process, and technology towards agile data transformation. George has a passion for soccer as well, being a head coach for a number of teams around the Twin Cities. Thanks, George, for being on the program today. Hey, Welcome. Awesome, good. You know, I gave a little bit of an intro on on where you're at today with regards to being a partner at, at Fulton, but a lot of our listeners are kind of curious on what was your background, you know, when you got out of college or whatever, maybe what was the path to get you to where where you are today? Oh, mine's mine's a little more bizarre than some, I, I won't lie. So when I came out of school, school in this in this terms was back in England. So okay. our system is slightly different. There's less reliance on various forms of education, but basically, so I came out at 18. And, and so what a lot of people do, they go to university, they go to college, they do all those things. I, I did not do that. I actually went down the path of working full time just because growing up, I was very good at school. I just wasn't very good at doing school. So one thing that sort of came out of that was I'm, I'm much better at doing just hands-on learning and going out and doing that. And so that's kind of where I started. And I think as with most people in the data world, I don't know, I accidentally found it or it found me, whichever way you want to put it, both are good. So to get to where I am today, only I went through a journey of just, I was working full time. I think I was doing 60 plus hours a week, quite comfortably. And I was, I was happy doing it. I had no problem. But then because I was younger, I kind of thought to myself, well, if I'm going to do that, then let's do something interesting with my life first. So I packed my bags. I moved to China for three years. And then that's where I met an American lady, came over here. And then started doubling down in that data world because that's kind of the job I fell into and got pulled over into the data analytics environment and started just doubling down and working all the way through. And now I'm here running, running a consulting firm, as you introduced, Fulton, and having loads of fun doing it. That's excellent. You know, as you were talking about just working a lot of hours, you know, there's this concept of to get mastery, you have to hit 10,000 hours. You know, do you, do you think you've hit your 10,000 hours already? Oh, if I haven't, then... You know, I've not been doing it right, but I'm, quite frankly, I think I must be well beyond that at this point, to be honest. 
Well, good. I mean, were, were you always sort of interested in, in data and analytics and stuff like that growing up? Or was it something that maybe a, did a switch just sort of flip one day? I think it's always been there. When I do some of that, some of that self-analysis I hear was so good for you, I look back at my childhood and think, well, I was creating graphs out of ridiculous things, like the coins I had or little competition I had with these little toys where they would have to try and, you know, get themselves into a certain position to, for me to then to judge it and then creating graphs all the time. And even back in the day when you had them, them big, massive floppy disk things, not the, not the square blue ones, the really big ones that are made of not floppier than anything and creating a program with, with those just doing some visuals and then seeing variables and understanding subconsciously what to do with them to change color, to change size. And so I think it's always kind of been there. But then as I did move into adulthood and started doing some of that work, it just sort of naturally picked itself up. So when working in a shop, I'll be the one looking at the report saying, well, we should move that because it's doing better and it will do better there. And it's naturally highest sales, but we're not utilizing. And just sort of doing my own analysis on things without ever realizing it was truly what I was doing. Yeah, cool. I mean, is there any type of market segment that you like to focus on at either at Fulton or, you know, you know, with regards to your own personal passions? We're industry agnostic. We, we really go with all the industries because everyone needs analytics and everyone needs various forms of like data consistency and integrity and, and and anything that goes beyond that. So when it does come to the answers of those questions, they're generally a lot more personal. I think when it came to learning some of the tools that are out there, working with a data set that you are, have a passion for or are familiar with is definitely the best way to learn something. So in my case, that was soccer, as you referenced at the beginning. I, I ended up creating a full historic to current day complete ecosystem dashboard of stadium and everything for West Ham United, which is the team who I followed back in England and it, and it spanned back 120 years and it really helped me understand the tools that I was working with at that time, which I think at that point it was Power BI. So there's, there's a whole lot of learning I did with that data set. But these days I've, I generally find myself really enjoying the emergency medical sort of air, air ambulance industry through a lot of luck, just like anything else. We've gotten to one company that, you know, when you go into, you go into a company and you're, you're getting your insight, you're getting your learning and all those different things. And you're getting some great outcomes. And there's, there's some pride in that. But when your outcomes are, we genuinely contributed to saving three, four minutes on, on you know, emergency medical things, those outcomes are literally lives in some cases. And so we've been told examples where the things, some of the things we've created have, have genuinely done that. And so when that's the outcome that comes from something, you're just much more likely to just gravitate towards something like that. I mean, that's much more satisfying than saving ex-insurance company a large sum of money, which is still nice, but nothing compared to something like that. So I've really doubled down in that industry in, in recent months. That's phenomenal. No, yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. It's kind of using technology to make this world a better place mm -hmm. rather than, you know, saving millions for millionaires, I guess, in some ways. <laughs> so there, there's definitely yeah, an altruistic value in that. And I can, I can absolutely empathize with that type of work. So what, like, what is the day in the life of a person like you that, that you're at this startup, I guess, would you guys still consider yourself a startup, small company? Oh, we're definitely a smaller company. Yeah. We're not, we're not one of these larger corporate sort of ones. And it's still run by Robert Gerrards, my business partner and myself. We do have one other person in the leadership now, just because you do get to a point where you can't handle everything and do it well, but we're still a small company in that regard. The day in the life for, for someone like me in particular is probably different to the employees. But so what I generally do is I spend my time 
supporting our employees. And at this point, we have 20 plus. And I also, a large amount of my time goes to pre-sales and architecture conversations and everything in between those ecosystems and, and, and what all that entails. I'm, I'm lucky in that there are still some of the ways that I get to train people is by going on to projects with some more junior people and actually doing the development still. So I stay in touch with my development skills. I still get to do the thing I, I ultimately enjoy, but I also get the enjoyment of starting something up and, and passing it on and, and allowing that knowledge to, to keep going through. So one thing that, that kind of occurred to me as part of that in recent months and I, the risk of sounding potentially the wrong way in terms of arrogance, but what I have discovered is over the last four years, by doing that process, so much of what happens at, at Fulton is in some part an image of how I perceive the world in regards to data preparation and data movement and, and analytics. Just because, you know, when you're when you're the one training the majority of people and they start picking up your concepts and, and the way that you do things, because through experience you've discovered that stuff, yeah. it's really kind of very nice and uh and of course, it is a blanket statement. It's not always as simple as that, but I get a lot of fulfillment by, by going through that process. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's exciting. We bring in junior engineers here too. I guess I hate to use the word junior, but you know, I guess people that are just out of school, for example, and you know, they, they haven't seen a lot, of the, a lot of the things that somebody who has been doing this for 20-some years has. And you know, one of the things that I think about is, is somebody took a chance on me. Oh, exactly, yeah. Back in the late 90s, I was starting to develop software for the internet, and I didn't know Jack, man. Most people didn't know Jack. We were all sort of figuring it out. But a lot of people over the course of my career, I've been really lucky to have some people put kind of put me under their wing and be like, no, this is how you really work on this stuff. So you probably feel that sense a little bit now of being able to give back. Guessing you, you maybe had somebody to help mentor you along the way? Oh, 100%. And they are the people I remember. You know, even when I was back in England, my, my manager back there was this Irish guy called Colin Mooney. Oh, most stereotypical name, I think, for in the for an Irish person in the world. Yes. But he was from Dublin, and um, I don't know. He just saw something in me, and so whenever he moved company, he'll bring me with him. I was, of course, all about that, and that was fine. So he knew what I was about. I knew what he was about. I could roll in and be comfortable, and and help set the stage for things. And the other example of that is, you know, in, in America when. At some point, I worked uh, at Ameriprise when I first arrived in America. And for context, I've been here, I think I worked it out the other day, to be just over 13 years now. So it's been it's been quite a long time. But back then, one of the things that I was actually hired to do as my first job in America was to, it was literally just moving moving stocks and, and, and equities between accounts. Nothing too exciting, not too far above data entry, but still something quite fulfilling as well. But the reason I got I got found out and moved to IT in that scenario is because I discovered that there was a toolbar that you could use, which was just sort of some custom code that would literally scrape and move things around. So I used that. And so when they came and plucked me up, I thought I was in trouble, to be quite honest. And they said, no, you're in the wrong department. You're coming with me. And they dragged me over. And that was and that was truly where I got into the, the data analytics space and started down on that. So it's it, yeah, you're right. It's it's literally just one or two people, and I don't know what my uh, what our employees' interpretation of me are, but there, there's definitely a couple that I've I really have all of them. I put a lot of time into, and I and I hope that they're successful with the foundation that that I can give them. That's excellent. No, cool. Very very good. I know I love stories of giving back, and you know you're talking about data. What are some challenges, I guess, that you're seeing when you go into organizations just? Generally, I guess, with regards to companies saying, I, you know, I want to improve X or improve Y, or like you say, with some of this, you know, emergency medical stuff, like 
What are the challenges, I guess? Every company is different. So one thing I do have the benefit of is in my position where I do, where I'm on a lot of the pre-sales, where I'm, I, I don't, I'm not an account manager by any means, but I have oversight on a lot of different technical projects going on at any given time. So over the last few years, it means I get a very large bandwidth as to the types of things that come up. And I think it, it really comes down to anything. I think the, the projects that go well, it doesn't necessarily matter what the technology is. It doesn't necessarily matter what the, what the issues with the data are. You can work them out because you can work with them. If they're engaged and they're good, then everything will work itself out. Even if, even if that conclusion is we're not quite the right fit and you know, that we're not quite in the direction that they want to go in. That's, that's an okay conclusion. And people don't always recognize that. In fact, we've had a project fail, not in regards to what we delivered was bad. It was the failure in regards to where we thought we had this in place, but we didn't. But we even got the feedback of, I'm so surprised this, this didn't work out, but we're still happy because of this process yeah. that we went through with you in order to discover these things that we didn't know before. That's not a bad thing. But when things are tougher, it does come down to, you know, the flexibility of people to learn, the, the flexibility of people to, to understand and, and listen and pretty much the same life things. So if you have the, the empathy to understand what's happening and the, the ability to work with people to say, okay, well, there is an issue here. Let's work together to do that and co-collaborate. That's really where the success comes. And so inevitably not everybody is built in the same way. From a data perspective, I do want to switch back to a very much more data perspective side. So 100%, the largest part, piece of dialogue, people come to us and they say, we want this kind of reporting. We want the ability to do the machine learning, the, 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 the AI, the, the, all of these advanced features that, uh, and frankly, nine times out of 10, the dialogue is, the data is nowhere near ready for that. We, we have a lot of work to do first. And it's having people understand that if you try and ask questions of a data set, and the data set isn't prepared for that, then you're going to get false positives. That data cleanliness is going to make a difference to, to the outcomes of, of what it is that you're trying to apply it to. And so as a result, you know, sometimes the tougher conversations are, we can get you there, but you know, you, you do have to walk before you can get there. So ultimately, I think the, the answer probably to paraphrase is probably data integrity and understanding how that data is, can be cleaned up. And I, I want to highlight something that, that doesn't often get talked about when it comes to data integrity as well. In large part, a lot of people interpret data integrity to be unclean, wrong data, like there's gaps in it. And, and that's absolutely true. But the other, the other form of data integrity that people don't visualize so much in their minds is the process-driven data integrity, where if you have the option, let's say, let's use the, the, the medical as the, as the example. If you have adult uh, pediatric for kids and neonatal and, and other such buckets, then if you have a bucket that says other and there's people that just select other for everything, that's not bad data. It's just not helpful. And therefore, you can do the analysis on those other fields and suppress or sort of say, well, other in, in those scenarios. But there's data integrity due to ambiguity as well. That's a key part of the conversation that doesn't come up when it comes to the cleanliness of data and the, and the usefulness of data as well. Just because every field is populated doesn't mean that every field is actually useful and therefore you actually get in the right message. And the way that people should usually approach that is, well, what's your process? Why are you putting that? Do we not have enough buckets? Are we just ultimately just being a bit lazy and just selecting the easiest thing just to get <laughs> through the process? And so that process refinement is a huge part of data integrity as, as, as part of the whole conversation. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. So there's probably a lot of just human elements, right? So, and probably some user interface or user experience, but just, I guess, the soft side of it. You're right. Like, why, why are people doing this this way? So, you're, as you said, the data isn't wrong. It's just maybe not useful. It's a great, great aspect to think about. Do you guys run into situations where people just don't have enough data? So you're like, you know, look, I, 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 we're going to need another six months to wait to kind of let us get more information as well? Honestly, no, not often. I've never thought about that, that question, to be honest. But I would surmise that the majority of companies that, that company might form to step in are ones that do have or have taken themselves as far as they can on their own, which means they inherently aren't going to just have no data available. There is some scenarios where there are new systems, but generally there's legacy data that you can apply to the behind it in order to give you that history. But honestly, we don't normally come across that. And I think in the scenario where we would, you know, of course, part of the feedback can be, well, it's just not enough data to do anything with. But that doesn't mean you can't start putting some of the groundwork in there in order to say, well, we can already see in these 1,000 rows that you have is too small a sample size. However, we can see where there are issues or where the data is going in. Maybe it's better to try and address them and fix them as part of your process now rather than waiting for six months and then having that data be less useful at those points. So there's always something you can do with a data set, even if it's minimal. But genuinely, I wouldn't come, I don't think we come across that scenario particularly often. Gotcha. I'm assuming you guys are hiring or have been hiring or like whatnot, but what are, what are the skill sets or the, the tools that you guys kind of use in the trade? I don't know. We might be a, we might be one of those memes. I don't know. Okay. We 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 genuinely we hire for personality over okay. technical skills, and obviously we have to identify that there's an aptitude with a consultant, and and the way that consultants have to apply themselves, there does have to be an element of soft skills and personality that that's inherent to that area of the industry. Whereas there are in other in other jobs with doing the same thing, there's there's less and there's less uh, reliance on that. So we've definitely not hired for that in the past, and it never goes right, frankly. Yeah. So we, we look for the aptitude as part of the first round, but you know, it's, it's the conversations with people that, that, that really tells you who they are. And if I may, I have a ridiculous example that probably shouldn't have happened, but it, but it did. And, and that is pre-COVID, I had an interview with a guy I, and I met him at a brewery because you know, sometimes that's Getting someone and, and just sitting down with them is sometimes the easiest way to, to, to understand how someone is. So at the brewery, and unbeknownst to us, they start a trivia night. I don't know, maybe I was just in a mood that day, but I, um, I just sort of asked him if he, wants, if he wanted to do the trivia. So he said yes and just sort of went along with it. So I just went to the group of girls to our left and just said, can we join your team for a while? And we did, and that was probably the, probably the most obscure interview I've ever given or he's probably ever received, but now he's one of our longest standards employees and he's fantastic. Because what you, what you get from those, those bizarre scenarios, are, you know, his ability to just say, yeah, all right, let's, let's just go with it and roll with it and see what happens. And that taught me so much more about him than, than sitting behind a desk and saying, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Conversation, which is a bad example, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I try and get to the the nitty gritty of who they are and what their personalities are. I think even in another example, it was a kid out of college and I just said to him outright, that is the most out of the book response I've ever heard. Throw that away and just, just tell me what it is you want or what you, sure. you know. And it was, it was just every stereotype in an answer that you could get. And I was, I just had enough of it and just said, no, 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 come on. I want to know you, not, not what you've been told to say. 
a huge amount of respect for you because, yeah, people can always pick up and learn the tools. And especially in the role of a consultant, you're right. You're putting them in front of a customer and those soft skills need to be there and they need to understand and work with customers on a personal level. Having been in the services business here for a long time, I, I absolutely know what you mean because that can make or break your business right there if you don't have the customer first mindset. It's something to be cognizant of at the very minimum, yeah. And there are exceptions, but that's, that's, that's life as well and that's, that's fine. Well, you know, we, we touched on soccer a little bit. Are there other uh, hobbies, other stuff you do outside of doing data analytics? Well, I have children. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're their own world and they're, they're just getting to the age where they do their own activities now. I'm a single father, so, you know, so luckily I do have the, the luckily, unluckily, I have them a good chunk of the time, 50%, which is not what everyone has. So on a personal level, having the ability to, to help with all of these things and, and having the flexibility of working from home to, to take them to all activities that's really where my um, a lot of my things go. Besides that, I have I have been in the public speaking circuit for a little while now, for a few years. I've, I don't think I've done much in the last four years, for obvious reasons, or three years, I should say. Though I've started picking a few things back up again, and I'm just glad that people are back in person doing a lot of these conversations and, and, and starting to entertain more of the, the in-person element, because I, I always found that I feed off of a crowd a lot more than I do when I'm just doing a virtual presentation. I find the cues from from people in the room on what you can get away with a lot easier to read than getting a bit silly and, and not being able to know whether that's that's appreciated or not. It's, yeah, you know, reading the room, that kind of thing. Cool. Well, you're, you're going to speak at the Applied AI meetup here later in the spring, in March, is that right? Yes. Are you Are you speaking anywhere else at all in 23? So in, yes, there's a few places that I'm planning on speaking. So one of the things that references back to the, the air medical industry that I've, you know, I'm speaking at one of the conferences for a vendor that we work primarily with to show the capabilities of what that tool is able to do. And, and it's a lot more non-technical audience, which, which is challenging, a lot more clinical and operations based. So that's, that's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of enjoyment around that because it's different to what I'll normally do. But otherwise, I will be applying for, for a couple of other air medical conference oriented places. And I'm looking to get back into those, those sequel Saturdays that, that go around the country quite a lot. They're starting to pick back up again. And I'm hoping to get a little bit of traveling under my belt all over again. So that's going to be a lot of enjoyment there. So hopefully speaking a fair amount and Back to the mentorship piece with the, with the employees, there's a, there's a couple of them that are looking to get into that circuit as well. So guiding them through their first ones, helping them come up with good presentations, that's, that's also front and center for me. I'm really looking forward to that one because that one's not a work requirement. That one's a personal brand and hobby requirement. If they want to do that, it's up to them. And so the only people obviously involved are the ones that want to do that and are excited for it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a little bit of that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. We have liner notes with each one of our episodes, so we'll we'll definitely put links off to some of these events and and stuff. But I, you know, I don't I don't know much about SQL Saturday, and maybe some of our listeners maybe don't. Could you enlighten us a little bit about what what that was or is? Basically, the the concept is is that there's there's a whole series of conversations you can have there. You submit your presentation. It's not a you know you don't need a certificate in order to present, but basically people presenting what they're good at. For some people, that's Power BI. For some people, it's Python within whatever scenario they're in, AI, data engineering, all the way back to DBA data management and even career and sort of emotional and social economical things around the career and the workplace. So there's a few user groups essentially that that run through the year, monthly usually, 
But then every now and then, or once a year, the majority of them turn around and say, okay, well, this is our one. We're going to do it here. We're going to have speakers from across the country come through. And those are the ones which I apply to do. Wow. And it really, it's a, it's a community-orientated thing. So you, you come across a lot of familiar faces after a while. And yeah, they're, they're just fun. And, and for, for a company like Fulton, when it's local, when the Minnesota one happens, you know, we get ourselves a booth and all of those things. But otherwise, we use it as a, you know, we, we, we try and take it less seriously and just sort of go around and, and build up our personal brands on, on there to be the experts at what it is that we, in the category of things that we fall into. Sure. And so I'm assuming then these events, like you say, they happen around the country very various months and they happen on a Saturday? They do. Okay. That's the winner. And you and you have to know SQL to, to do this or not really? Oh, no, you don't have to just, know SQL. Like I said, Power BI, all the different things. Whenever I do it, I think it's different every time. I try and keep myself entertained. What have I been doing recently? So I think the latest one I did, it was sort of like a master data management in the absence of spending $100,000 on master data management. Little hacks and tricks that you can do to win things, but it's really kind of broad on the amount of topics that you can apply yourself to. That's cool. Yeah, like I say, we'll, we'll for sure put some links to that organization. Do you have a Minnesota date yet this, this, this next year? Or? There is. They're, they're, they're actually, their one is in December. They're virtual, so I've, I'm not going to be doing that one personally. The next one I have is there's one in Atlanta that should be happening beginning of next year that I'm hoping to get accepted for. I'd like to, I have one in April, which will be the Flight Vector Conference, which is very niche and probably not for everyone unless you're in Air Medical. But there's there's a handful of other ones. Uh, I spoke in Tampa a couple of weeks ago for AMTC, which is the Air Medical Transport Community sort of yearly event where the, it's more executive level and with all of those kinds of things. So as for what's going to come the next year for the SQL Saturdays, the only one I'm aware of so far is Atlanta. So at the moment, it's only Atlanta. So we'll see what happens. The whole reason I've sort of started the Applied AI group was just, I just love getting people together, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's just a fun, fun way to learn from each other and network. And it's always like a one plus one equals three type thing where there's just so much benefit. We're, lo- we're actually looking to do some more hands-on workshoppies type, type stuff. So, so while we have these monthly meetups that really span the gamut, you know, from people talking about, does, does AI have sense and feelings into it? You know, we had a guy some months ago that was really talking about what's going to happen once AI surpasses human comprehension, all that type of stuff, to something that's much more hands-on, which is awesome. And so we, we really try and keep the, the group like really wide open. But I'm, I'm looking to do some weekend events where it's a little bit more of, come in, here's some data set, and here's some stuff that people can play around with. Because there, there's just a lot of people that are just enthusiastic about it, but they don't even know where to start. Oh, that's, that's very true. And so back to the advice of just pick up a data set that you know, uh, something that you understand. In my case, it was soccer. It could be anything for anyone. Football and baseball are always good examples for people that are into those sports too. It doesn't have to be sport by all means, but just getting those. I have a sustainability one just because that, that's quite interesting to me. You're asking the questions you want to know. <laughs> so, right. so therefore, it's easier to work with than, you know, I've got some finance stuff. Oh, look, it goes up and down, you know. Yeah, yeah. And unless you're a bean counter or whatever, you, you, you probably won't care about it as much. So like you say, as long as you scratch your own itch, definitely something you're going to be working on nights and weekends. How do people reach out to you? LinkedIn a good place? LinkedIn's a great place. I'm assuming you've probably got the URL for that one too, but that's... You know, that's definitely something that I, I have the ability to and, and desire to go into and see a lot more than, than other places. I am on Twitter as well, though my LinkedIn is connected to it. And if I even remembered what my Twitter handle was, that would be amazing. But 
On the lids, otherwise it's the email address, george.brian at fortinanalytics.com, analytics.com. Those are the primary ways. Good deal. Is there any other uh, topics or things that, you know, that I didn't cover that you maybe wanted to touch on? I think the other one was, I wouldn't mind going into one of the presentations that I was going to do at SQL Saturday Chicago. Actually, it actually got cancelled. But one of the things, because I have quite a large advocacy around behavioral stuff, just because I was diagnosed as adult ADHD probably only about four or five years ago. And I think in the retrospect of looking back at at how I was and, and how a lot of people in the industry view and the stereotypes around ADHD in particular, but it's not the only one. There's anxiety, ADHD, and a lot of the behavioral elements. There's definitely become a lot more recognized in the COVID era. There's no doubt that that has been a benefit in regards to that, because I think people are a lot more cognizant of what those things mean and the mental health conversation that comes with them. But to give my example, I mean, honestly, on a more human element, it did take me, it was only about two years ago, I could actually start having a conversation about this stuff without just feeling like I was going to burst into tears in any moment, just because it's a very stressful thing. So I kind of wanted to share a story of, of around that, and I, and I think it, it may shed some light as to how other people have felt during the pandemic, in particular, when everyone was locked down, and just to see if there's anything that, that other people sort of you know, to create an openness to, so that people do feel like it's okay to talk about this stuff without putting up, you know, I think there's definitely avenue where where that isn't still a bit of a stigma. So if if you're willing to humor me, I wouldn't mind just telling that story briefly. Um, You know, even when it came to the education, I was absolutely fine at school. I I was not very good at the applied side of the the homework part because that ultimately was where I, I just couldn't get that focus. So that was back in school. And so that, that's, it's dictated a, lot, a large part of my life. And, and when I look back on uh, retroactively, those periods of, oh, am I just lazy? And, you know, always sort of why, why am I like this sort of things kind of got answered when I got that diagnosis. But what really came out was, and what really triggered getting that diagnosis was before the pandemic happened, I was at, um, I was at a company out of Kentucky. So therefore, because I live in Minnesota, it was 100% remote. And over those eight months, I think I broke down to completely just the most dysfunctional human. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't focus on the thing. I couldn't get anything done. And it was genuinely, I didn't ever know why they had me around because I was pretty much useless. But it didn't matter how hard I tried, I couldn't do it. It was, it was a big struggle. And so inevitably, when you get to that point, you start questioning yourself of, well, God, what, what am I? This is, this is terrible. And so... I did pursue the diagnosis and it ended up being the best thing I could do because even though it doesn't really make any difference, it made a large part of the conversation tangible for me to pick up and and be able to deal with. So roll on to, I then get a a contracting firm with uh, Ecolab of all places, which was really on-site every day, a, a huge requirement. And I just started thriving again. I was able to do my work. I was functional and I was happy. And I really got you know, my mojo back, my confidence back. And I knew, and I was back to knowing what I was good at, what I was doing and being able to contribute to everything that I was involved with there in a big way. And that, that made me really happy. So when the, when the pandemic hit and I was, and they said, okay, everyone's got to work from home. Having just come from the other experience a few months, uh, like a year or two before, I think that hit a low point in terms of mental health. Cause I just knew as soon as they announced it and I read the email, I broke down there and then I thought, I don't know how I'm going to survive this just because of what happened to me before. But what that did do was it prepared me to be able to understand what the stresses of working from home are ahead of time, which I think 
in reality, actually put me in a spot ahead of a lot of people because I don't think there was many people that were actually prepared for what that meant and how that sort of came together. So through that experience, I was again able to sort of have discussions with other people, connect some people together and, and not completely close myself off and, and be able to, you know, really come out of that. And, you know, and, and it was tough for a long time. But I've, having had the diagnosis before that as well, I've now managed to work my schedule around how I work, how my brain works, where my peak times are, should I ever be able to predict such a thing, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and work around that thing. So I advocate for people to be a lot more open about these things, more so now than ever, because I think it's a lot more tangible to a lot more people. You know, I think even now, I think there's still a lot of people struggling with, with the working from home, with elements of loneliness and that stuff. And and not just in a, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm trying to create memes and crap like that. And I saw too much of that. It was getting kind of annoying. But from a genuine human element, people should realize that this is a thing and that it's, it's a tangible thing for people to to latch onto and, and give their best in terms of trying to, you know, get help with those kinds of things. And understanding that from a manager looking down perspective, it also means from a management perspective, which is the larger message, just because someone is struggling doesn't mean that they're not functional and unable to do the work. But you do have to have the conversation with them. You are, you know, you're duty bound as a leader and a manager to to understand what someone is going through in order to, to come up with that. And I have a brother who's Asperger's as well. So I grew up with a lot more tolerance with, with this kind of thing than, than I think a lot of the people around me through that tangible, you know, context and experience. And so I think, you know, when you do, even again to the interview process piece that we were discussing before, even when you reference things like that, understanding that, you know, someone is extremely nervous and or someone may not pick up on all of the, 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 the audio and visual cues that other people find a lot more natural is something that, that, you know, that doesn't mean they're not good for the job. And so looking beyond, beyond the surface and understanding what's happening and how someone's functioning is, is something that it doesn't happen quite enough. And, and I see it tangibly, even with, even with people who I've discussed candidates with. So, oh, they're like this, I don't like them. So, well, I understand that, but did you consider this element of it? Did you sure. understand that this was happening in their life at the time? And therefore, if that was you, would you have been any different? And, and having those conversations and just being open about it. Thank you, George, for sharing that personal story. And, and I think, you know, the, the point of this conversation and the point of this podcast is, is, is really what I want it to be. I want it to be a conversation, right? So it's not really all about us getting hardcore around artificial intelligence. It's really, I really like to bring people's stories to, to the forefront and think that they've run into. And I think you're right. It's a duty as a manager to understand their employees, but just even us as humans, that people aren't perfect. And there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. I think that's the word that I would use is to be vulnerable and open yourself up and say, look, this is what's going on with me. And, you know, this is the way that I react to this. <laughs> and people need to understand that. And it's, you're not going to be perfect all the time. And man, COVID, COVID was tough. And especially for people that, that sit in front of a computer screen all day, people say, well, you can just pick up and do that at home. Well, yes, you can. But it's a totally different. It becomes very isolating, and you know, my it is my not story the same. a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, and you know, and honestly, after COVID ended, it was a huge uh, mind exercise for me not to go back down in the basement. So for me, I would, you know, I get the kids out to school. Actually, they wouldn't go out to school. Back that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't going anywhere. <laughs> they were basically running around the house and trying to do online learning, which is a joke. So I'm trying to deal with them. But then, you know, the basement was my 
little oasis that I had in my utility room just to sort of get stuff done. But it's very lonely. And once we decided to sort of essentially come back to the office, if you want, so employees don't have to come back to the office here, but if you do want to come back, and for me, I was like, I kind of want to go back to the office, I would find myself just just, just naturally going back down into my cave, right? And it's hard to break out of that. I'm happy to say that I like a mixture of both, but when you're stuck at home all the time, it can absolutely feel like prison. At least that was a sense that I... Oh, absolutely. And so now, now my experience is that, you know, I, I thrive in my home office because I've set it up and I've got my routine now and that, and that really works. But there's absolutely a scenario for, I mean, Fulton doesn't have their own offices, but we do have clients that have offices. And so... We, we make a point of saying that, you know what, some things are easier to achieve in person. You want to do that data validation. You want to do that testing. You want to just meet and greet and, and be part of a, a niche community that's not, you know, necessarily yours forever. It's, you still need those things. And they do make relationships and work and, and you know, the outputs that you're creating for people better. And so it's, it's good that we have the control and not. And so I did the other day, I, look, I thought back on, you know, I used to drive one to two hours every day, be in the office for the whole day. And I just got wonder, how did I survive this? <laughs> you know, I was on, on a, a client yesterday for half a day and came back just, whew, <laughs> it's quite intense to do that. I just don't know how, as I look back, how we ever managed to do that. And uh, great for the people that, that really thrive off it. I'm just happy for the balance these days. It's very nice. And I'm privileged enough to be in a position where I can create my own balance. And I understand not everyone's there, but that, that for me is what I strive for over, over the rest of the things that I, I hear people like. Well, and, and back to your sharing, yeah, I think we all need to be a little bit more open that people can need to work and have, might have issues that we don't know about, right? So don't be so quick to judge people on how they work or what they're doing, because in certain scenarios, yeah, you don't, you don't understand. It's a, it's a big topic and you know, on the, on the flip side of it, I mean, I never say these things in, in regards to you can still be struggling and, and not make it how to phrase it. I'll articulate this hopefully correctly and not come across like a butthead. So, I mean, I have my struggles. I, I have the things that I work with, but I still have to, I have to work to create those, the environment for myself, for me to thrive in. It's not an excuse or, or a crutch to lean on. It's something that you have to acknowledge and work towards. That doesn't mean it's always going to be successful. And that's where management and leadership say, okay, well, use your time to create the environment for yourself. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean we all have a crutch to, to lean on whenever we, whenever we, it's like not going quite our way. So I think that, you know, that's the argument that a lot of people have with those things. And I think that that, you know, with balance, with everything, there's a balance and that's a tangible thing as well, you know, and it's, and I think it's fair to, to, to have both sides of that. For sure. Well, great, George. We talked about a lot today. Lots of lot, lots of interesting <laughs> stuff, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, spending close to forty five minutes here with us, going through all of this stuff. It's it's fascinating. I think you know the the one thing that I that I would say is you know th through everything that you've gone through from coming from another country and China and coming moving to Minnesota. I mean, I have a huge amount of respect for you for going out on a limb and starting your own company, right? You know, being 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 an entrepreneur, finding something you're passionate about and building a business around it. Not many people do that. And so I think you should be proud of what, of what you've built. And, you know, I guess a lot of people get, are, are fearful of, uh, of potentially coming up short. And kind of what you said in, in, your, in your last comment there is, is, you know, it's something that you just work on and, and improve it. It's, so, it's a risk. But if, for context, I mean, I have tried a company before this, a sports analytics company uh, called Finbar Goes East. 
I think I still have the trademark somewhere, international trademark. Apparently, I was very confident in myself. But yeah, it failed. But then you, you do learn from that. But I, I had the advantage of being able to work full-time whilst doing that on the side. So it was quite intensive. But I mean, if you're able to, to make those decisions to do this kind of thing, then then that's excellent. If not, then... You know, there is a risk involved and it's just down to you to sort of either take that leap, but whatever, if you're going to take the leap, you just got to make sure you've thought it through. <laughs> that's that's the only advice anyone can ever give. Just, uh, you know, you can't just say, ah, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, but <laughs> go ahead and what? Go ahead and jump off of a curb <laughs> without looking? No, do your plan and do your due diligence. And at some point, you just got to say, all right, I'm ready. And, or I'm not ready, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Way. Well, in, in the world of data, make sure you have as much data as you can before you actually make that leap, I guess is what I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, why not? Let's do it that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, great, George. Again, I appreciate appreciate the time and you know, look forward to having you at our Applied AI meetup here in the coming months and look forward to keeping in touch. So thanks again. Cool, looking forward to it. Thank you for your time. You've listened to another episode of The Conversations on Applied AI Podcast. We hope you are eager to learn more about applying artificial intelligence and deep learning within your organization. You can visit us at appliedai.mn to keep up to date on our events and connect with our amazing community. Please don't hesitate to reach out to Justin at appliedai.mn if you are interested in participating in a future episode. Thank you for listening.